I remember during new employees orientation sessions, I always find myself telling them, look guys, you will usher in the beginnings of a migration of tons of work in contact center to the Philippines. And therefore, you are bearing the flag of the country. And if we miss, if we don't do exceptional work, you know, one interaction at a time, one day at a time, then the world is going to see the Philippines and say, why bother? Why would we trust them with this kind of work? Why would we entrust the Philippines with our customers? So I said, every interaction that you have an opportunity to be in, you got to do it your very best. Because what you do will matter to the rest of the country. What you do is not just about taking those calls. What you do is actually helping build this economy, create more jobs. You gotta be eternally curious and interested because even what you need to know now changes in a matter of 18 to 24 months. It's ever evolving. If you happen to actually discern what your life's purpose is and what you can be passionate about and have the confidence and the fortune to pursue, that will be a success. Hi guys, this is Molik and welcome to the Future Proof Leader Podcast. Today I sit down with my good friend and the chairman of the Contact Center Association of the Philippines, Benedict Hernandez. Benedict is also a senior leader at Accenture, leading their intelligent operations in Asia Pacific, Middle East and Africa. During this conversation, Benedict takes us through his fascinating career that began as a teacher and how he became a part of two emerging industries, telecommunications in the early 90s and the BPO industry a few years later. He also shares with us his insights about the future of the BPO industry and what leadership skills and talents one will need to thrive during the disruptive decade ahead. Enjoy. Benedict, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Malik. Happy to be here. Good to see you. <laughs> Good seeing you as well. And, uh, you know, I have uh, quite a few questions for you about your illustrious career in the BPO industry. But before we get to that, uh, from what I understand, uh, when you were growing up, your childhood dream was actually to become a dentist. Is that right? <laughs> so... It wasn't exactly a childhood dream, but you know how we are when we are younger, high school, you got to choose a career so that you can take up some college degree. I happened, I actually was supposed to do architecture. And then my closest friends in high school said, we're, we're going to take up dentistry. So why don't you go and join us? Mm -hmm. So I pulled out my application for architecture and ended up doing a dental course at the beginning. Can you imagine you know, if actually I pursued that? I would, you know, it would be a very different uh, career for me you know, if I became a uh, dentist. Yeah, you probably would be the chairman of uh, the Dentist <laughs> Association <laughs> of the Philippines here. But, uh, uh, you know, um, before we talk about your education, um, I wanted to ask you about your teenage years, right? I mean, um, mainly your uh, teenage years were in the 1980s uh, when the country was going through massive changes uh, politically and socially. What was it like growing up during that time? And uh, if it has shaped you in any way or form 
uh, in your personal or professional career? No, I thought uh, my teenage years were typical of, of any other teenager. And back then, everybody would actually just go and hang out with friends on the streets, right? Go around the neighborhood. Uh, so that was that was very typical of me. I think this uh, period of change uh, during the EDSA People Power Revolution was particularly important to to me and the others in my generation because it signaled right mm -hmm. this is a new era mm -hmm. and pretty much you know it's up to us now how to chart the future of yeah. our country and the future of our community so at a very young age i was exposed to that right that look we're mm -hmm. starting a new journey and it's up to us you now how we actually want to chart that journey so i thought that was uh the most meaningful uh takeaway from the 80s now growing up during that time and i i still think we have the the 80s were the best music was actually also of course <laughs> yes yeah that's why you know in the bpo parties uh, typically the theme is 80s yeah they're, they're, <laughs> we, yeah, they're wonderful years <laughs> yeah, we, we can't get enough of that uh, uh -huh. so uh, you wanted to become a dentist uh you end up attending uh, up diliman but you graduated with a degree in something completely different is that right yeah, midway through trying to take up dentistry, and I was doing pretty well in school. I would get really good grades, but I, I couldn't see myself. I said, there must be something that would interest me. You know? I took the course because it was like my friends chose it. They said it's going to be a really good career. And then, you know, during college, I started working part time. I worked throughout my college years. So I stopped needing to ask money for my allowance started paying for what I needed. And one of the companies I worked for for some time was this, this uh, communication center called Speech Power. And I was exposed to all of these faculty members, right? These uh, speakers who were very inspirational, were very articulate, very confident. And for the first time growing up, I was going, I want to be like that. I want to be a teacher. Mm. So from being clueless and just going along with my friends to take up dentistry for the first time in my young life, I got exposed to role models and adults mm -hmm. who inspired me. And I said, I want to be like that. I want to be, you know, inspiring others, speaking and being in speaking engagements. I want to teach. And therefore I said, I, I don't think I'm going to be excited teaching dentistry. So might as well shift to a course that might be an interesting a course for me to teach. And the one that was actually most relatable to having taken up a lot of science subjects in dentistry was psychology, the Bachelor of Science in Psychology. So that's how I ended up. I said, you know, let me take this course, which is my psychology degree course. And right after graduating from UP, Department of Psychology, that's exactly what I ended up doing, uh, which is teaching in the university. Yeah, and I guess it comes handy, right, when you're dealing with... Uh thousands of people in the industry, uh, having an understanding of psychology <laughs> comes quite a bit uh, handy Absolutely, to you. absolutely. There were two things that I picked up from psychology, many things, right? But two things I think that's really helpful for me is when I, when I started teaching, I said, I don't want to teach the popular psychology classes, yeah. like personality psychology, introduction to psychology, social psychology. I said, I wanted to teach the subjects that are the hardest and the most avoided by the students, right? Mm -hmm. 
so I ended up teaching a lot of the statistics uh, in psychology, psychological research. Wow. And I, I chose those kinds of subjects because I said that was the challenge I was thinking yeah. upon myself. How do I make this interesting, compelling, relevant, applicable, relatable to students who don't want to sit in eight hours a week of uh, statistics? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought that grounding was, has been has served me really well in my career, knowing something about you know statistics as a background, knowing, you know, understanding amongst multiple variables, what could be, you know, a, a causal relationship versus a correlation. And all of that to me was very, very useful in, in the rest of my professional career. Uh, the other uh, thing that I did was while I was teaching, I, I took up my postgraduate degree. Uh, so I took up organizational psychology. So that mm -hmm. was also very helpful, right? Nice. Uh, you know, again, related to having to work with enormous amounts of, of people you know, around you. Uh, that was really good grounding for me as well. Now, you graduated, I believe, in 1993, and uh, you were awarded the um, Outstanding Graduate of the Year. So how much did you have to pay somebody to get that? <laughs> uh, but on a serious note, obviously, um, how do you get that recognition? Actually, I never got to figure out what the mechanics were, but obviously they're looking for really high grades is one. Okay. Uh, but when I was uh, taking up my postgraduate, I was very active in working with senior faculty members mm -hmm. when they were undertaking external projects, right? They would do some research on the field. Many years ago, we had the unfortunate incident in the Ormoc flooding and there was an internationally funded research to understand, you know, how the aid was actually being used or not being effective. So we spent a couple of weeks in field research in Ormoc after the tragedy, trying to just uh, get some data there. So I ended up being the lead researcher in many of these external projects. So I, 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 if I were to guess, maybe it's a combination of uh, getting pretty good grades and, you know, getting involved in external engagements like that. Right after graduation, what did you do? What was your first job? Uh, exactly what I wanted to do, which was teach in the university. University of the Philippines is a public university, right? Government owned. So I was getting, I was happily teaching on a government teacher's salary. Right? Wow. Which at that time was, I still remember, about 900 pesos per week was what I was getting. Seriously? And even during that time, it wasn't much money, right? I had to ride the yeah. jeepney to work. I had to be very careful what I uh, got for lunch because there's only a certain amount of money. But I was, I was pretty happy. I was actually wired in and I said, I love what I'm doing. And I did that for about three years. And so that was my first taste. Wow. Uh, if you got to do something, might as well do something that you truly enjoy, right? And you get some fulfillment from. And what did your uh, parents think about that? Were they supportive of that? I would, I would probably say one of the things that I can say about my parents, uh, both of them uh, have passed away already, mm -hmm. is that they were just incredibly consistently supportive all throughout my life. And all throughout the lives of my siblings who had many different, we had extremely different interests and pursuits and all of that, but they were just extremely supportive. So in, in fact, if, if there was something that I picked up in trying to figure out, you know, how do I 
you know, become a better parent you know, for my own kids. That's one of the things, which is you're there to encourage them. You're there to support them yes, so that they also discover what is that that could make them very passionate? What is their purpose in life? And, you know, that I would really wish, you know, gets to be discovered yes. and actually fired up you know, my kids. So I've, I've been very lucky with my parents. How did you go from teaching at UP to then ending up working for SMART? How did that transition come about? Well, I mentioned that I did a lot of extra projects while I was teaching and taking up my, my, uh, my postgraduate degree in the same university. Some senior faculty would always tap on me to be their lead researcher. And there was one particular project for, this was back in early 90s. Mm -hmm. And there was a new entrant in the market mm. uh, because for many generations, the Philippine telco industry uh, was really a monopoly, right, of PLDT. Yeah. And at that time, there was a new entrant. The, the telco industry was being deregulated. And one of them happened to actually needed to understand uh, the market opportunity. So they needed somebody to do some research, uh, do some consumer market research for them. So my, my lead professor got the award of the project and I was the lead researcher of that particular project. So that's really what I, I did uh, for this particular company. And then they, they saw the output, they really liked the output. And then they reached out to me and said, do you want to do this full time with us, right? Which is we're setting up this new telco. Can you head up training quality and research for us, right? Wow. For the customer operations group. It's amazing. Uh, so from earning 900 pesos a week to a corporate paying salary based out of Makati was something that was, I said, this, this, can be interesting, right? It's going to still make use of my, my skill set. And maybe I should do this. So for the first time, I earned enough to actually buy my own apartment. Eventually, I got my first, you know, very old secondhand car. But that was really the beginnings of, okay, this is interesting, right? What this could be. And I remember the founders of that particular company at the very beginning. I was one of the first few employees that was hired back then. Yeah. early 90s and the main product we were going to sell was cellular phones right and during that time there was just a few thousand people in the philippines who carried very expensive cellular phones very large cellular phones. yes and uh one of the founders said you know one day we are going to buy pldt and we would kind of half laugh about it i said wow what what bold statement one day we're going to buy the biggest telcos dominated this industry for generations now. And seven years later, that's exactly what happened. Right? Smart, smart communications for specific own, eventually buying out PLDT. And that to me was also fascinating, right? That to yeah. me was the beginning of, okay, we could be part of a telco company. I mean, how, how, uh, exciting can that be <laughs> yeah but then you know there was this ambition that was pretty exciting we were the little guys the new entrants and we are going against the goliath of the industry and and that felt there, there was some some special feeling being part of the pioneering group right trying to work out how do we survive how do we actually 
become a, a real competitor to this Goliath who's been there for a long time. So it was an incredible story that seven years later, right, we ended up actually acquiring buildings and now it's just this one coming. So that was a very uh, special time, you know, as an, as, a, as an introduction to the corporate world. Yeah. And the fortune of in the 90s now, being in the industry back then. Yes. Right? The, the fastest growing, most exciting industry in the 90s happening in the Philippines was telco, the explosion of yes. telco. Yes. And being there at the right time, at the very beginning, you know, in the right company when yes. this was all just beginning. And then also starting out as brand new, mm-hmm. which is having the ability to shape how we want to, I mean, we had to invent everything, right? How are we going to run operations? Yes. How are we going to expand? Every, there was no playbook in front of us. There was no you know, existing uh, uh, team that knew how to do this. So we all made it up as we went. Yeah. And that was, it was an exciting adventure. A lot of learning, a lot of challenges, a lot of, a lot of things that didn't go right. But it was just incredible. And I, I took away from that you know, this sense of gratitude for being at the right company in the right industry at the right time. It was a, it was a magical, uh, and, and people who were there during those years, if we get around and got, get together, they, they would still relish, right? How it was like uh, getting started you know, uh, in this particular industry. You know, but what, what is so fascinating about that uh, story, Benedict, is that, yeah, you were there at the right place at the right time. But then towards the end of the decade, uh, late 90s, you get invited to join uh, eTeleCare in an industry that was non-existent. While the telco, especially the mobile operations were taking off. So when I look at your career growth at that time, it just boggles my mind that you were able to actually make that transition, you know, to go from an industry that is really taking off and to join an industry that doesn't even exist yet. Take us through your logic. How did that come about? I, 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 was, I was also obviously much younger back in the 90s <laughs> in smart communications. And uh, it, it was, it was uh, such an exhilarating experience, right? And then I joined another startup uh, called Nextel Communications yeah. uh, after my smart stint. And if I look at smart to Nextel to eTelecare, which is the first BPO I joined, I thought that it was a natural progression because in Nextel, they gave me a larger role. And, and I thought that in smart communication, there's so much I enjoyed doing with the team. I enjoyed you know, pursuing things that, you know, people would say that cannot be done. So I enjoy that, right? The challenge of doing something that's never been done before with a team. And I said, if I take this bigger role, right, this more senior role being offered to me in another telco, Nextel at that time, I said, I think, you know, I can set out to do something even bigger in Boulder, right? So I was hired as a vice president in Nextel Communication. So that was also an incredibly fun, challenging, difficult, but lots of learnings and very fulfilling. So when eTelecare became an opportunity for me, and a little bit of a trivia, there was actually 
they were looking, it was a brand new BPO, right? The first BPO company to register with the Philippine Economic Zone Authority. The first BPO to actually establish itself in the very first IT BPO park in the country uh, called Eastwood. And they were just beginning, right? They were just starting. A little bit of trivia, uh, but they, <laughs> they already hired their country general manager. Right? Mm-hmm. So they already had a country general manager as a, you know, one of the pioneers of the industry as well. And for some reason, after some time, you know, it, it didn't really work out. So she, she actually opted to leave the company. But what I heard is she recommended me you know, for the job because I got the wow. number from, from Founder Circle. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's how I ended up getting introduced to this one. And what was running in my head at that time was, okay, I, I got to do something special and smart. I got to do something special, but in a bigger role in Nexel Communications. Here's yet another opportunity, right? And the opportunity is to head up, right? The Philippine operations, head up that group. And I said, that would be fun. That would be stretching myself. That would be very challenging. Uh, to not just be a VP of a certain division, but to help, help, help uh, lead the, the entire Philippine entity. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was a, an interesting part of that choice, and um, you know, but who knew what BPO yeah. was all about? And you know, of everybody course. was clueless. How does this work? How big can it be? It was all just <laughs> it was all just an experiment at that time, I would say. But your your career growth from the moment you graduated from UP Diliman to you joining Italicar as the country general manager is spectacular, right? I mean, you were in your late 20s at that time? I joined uh, Italicare as country manager when I was 29. Exactly. And I've, I've had this fortune of starting early, right? So I, I, um, I started teaching before I was 20, right? So I was pretty young. I, I gra- kind of graduated pretty young for my batch. Uh, so I would be teaching kids that were about maybe two, three years younger than I was that time. And that that was my fortune, right, in my career, which is I got to move up in Smart, in Nextel, in my 20s quite quickly. And, you know, with a lot of the mentorship and guidance and confidence of the people around me, I was blessed with. No? So at 29... Uh, it was a fun age to say, okay, this is this is your responsibility now. You are accountable, right, for the success and failure of this this entity that was just created in the country. Does and they just created the entity. Uh, from what I understand, you guys didn't have any clients at that time, and it took you a long time before you guys actually finally signed your client from the U.S. Well, the founders when they established it, had an interesting list of potential prospects when they raised the capital to actually establish the first, you know, locator in the country for PESA, for BPO space. We were in a brand new building in Eastwood. Eastwood was just start getting started. The first building that was built in Eastwood was the Citibank building that you see outside. Yeah. And we took a lease on the first two floors of that. 
we spend money on the infrastructure, data center, the seats, phenomenal looking office. You you got to visit it in the early yes. days. So you got That's to see right. it. Yeah. And you know, we said we're gonna invest in top Filipino talent. Yeah. Right? Because the the promise of eTelecare was that you know they're gonna see Filipino talent that is not cheaper, but better than anybody else. World-class talent exists in this country that a lot of people, you know, would actually not even guess no, exist. And at that time, <laughs> I joined when we just hired our first 50 call center agents. Uh, I think we called them customer care associates at that time. And I said, I want to meet them, right? They just got hired. And I said, why don't we introduce ourselves um, you know, just your name and which university. They all were new graduates. And of the 50 agents, uh, 48 of them came from the Ateneo. Wow. And it was the first time, I mean, it was 48 times I would hear, I'm Malik, I graduated from the Ateneo. Right? So everybody said, it's <laughs> the Ateneo. I said, oh boy, I've never been with so much Ateneo <laughs> in one room. <laughs> And I said, my name is Benedict. I graduated from DUP, right? So <laughs> our head of HR recruiting was from the Ateneo. As I said, you got to get also people from, but they were just smart, yes. right? Confident, articulate, you know, 50 folks. Uh, uh, and then again, that, that magic of assembling a team with that kind of raw, untapped talent, full of potential is something that's it's very hard to replicate. So we got the talent, we got the fancy office, we got infrastructure, we got everything running. We have our U.S. sales and marketing going on. And the only thing we didn't have was a paying client, right? So yeah. <laughs> and it was months, it was months, right? And we would have some discussions, sometimes meetings I would attend, wherein there was a discussion on, you know, we don't have enough cash for the next payroll. We need to do a shareholder cash call again and all of that. So it was a very tense moment during our early months because essentially nobody believed our story. No client actually believed that this will work and why would I send the work to this country called the Philippines? I don't even. Some of them would even misspell, right? The term yeah. Philippines. A lot of hesitancy for clients to actually fly in and visit yeah. the country. They're not sure if it's safe. Uh, so that was the beginnings. And the, the interesting thing is, what do you do when you have about five, six months of no client, 50 incredibly talented agents, your team leads, your QA. So we ended up with making up about five, six months of training, five, six months of role play, five, six months of practice, five, six months of <laughs> uh, stuff, right? Because yes. we were just getting ready. And <laughs> so... You know, and then after about six months, we landed our first uh, gullible American client who believed <laughs> us. And then we said, okay, game on now. Let's try yeah. to do this. And since then, it's become a, a phenomenal yeah. story. Uh, and, and if there was maybe one word that comes to mind when I think about my Italicare days, I think it was, it was truly trailblazing. Yes. Now, for an untested new concept, there were other outsourcing going on already at that time. But this was, I think, the more the more visible PESA registered contact center work yeah. for the US market. Yeah. 
And therefore, when I would, again, back to my roots of there must be something more interesting in my UP teaching days, I said, I want the challenge of teaching the most difficult subjects. In smart communications, I was, it was, it was energizing to think one day we're going to buy the biggest telco and we're going to become the biggest. And here, once again, you know, I was going, what is it about this operation, you know, uh, night shift work, right? Very regimented. You got to be productive. You had, you had to hit your quality numbers. Why would this be interesting work, right? To be doing contact center work. And I remember during new employees orientation sessions, I always find myself telling them, look, guys, you, you will usher in, right? The beginnings of a migration of tons of work, right? In contact center to the Philippines. And therefore, you, you are... Uh, bearing the flag of the country. And if we miss, if we don't do exceptional work, you know, one interaction at a time, one day at a time, then the world is going to see the Philippines and say, why bother? Why would we trust them with this kind of work? Why would we entrust the Philippines with our customers? So I said, every interaction that you have an opportunity to be in, you got to do it your very best. Because what you do will matter to the rest of the country. What you do is not just about taking those calls. What you do is actually helping build this economy, create more jobs. So that was, was my constant, I mean, my way of trying to understand what's the bigger purpose or meaning in it and trying to re- make it relatable to the other colleagues I had, the young graduates who heard about the high paying salary, right? Who heard about, who knows we are in a nice office. They go there thinking they're applying for a high-paying contact center job. And then after the orientation, I tell them, no, you're here to help us uh, save the country, right? Or help the country yeah. <laughs> move Give forward. them a bigger uh, role. Yeah, yeah. and it's kind of interesting, right? How they just really also identify with that and get excited yeah. with that. So it was a very special time because it was like, again, we're going to prove that there's nobody better than the Filipino talent to do this kind of work. And that we're not a lower cost destination. We are the best destination for this kind of profession. So that was a, that was special, fun times. Uh, during I can imagine. <laughs> and I would think that the, the first 50 people that you spent uh, six months training must be doing amazing things in the BPO industry today. I have met quite a few <laughs> executives coming from e-telecare training, and I know they are doing great things throughout the country. But is that true that, I mean... Uh, it's, this, uh, it's, yeah. It is. I mean, it's, I mean, they've done so well in their own, you know, it, there, there's a lot of pride, right, to seeing your, yeah. your colleagues do really phenomenal stuff. Was it a week ago we were having this government meeting on some policy, right? This is for the Contact Center Association. And we had a number of folks as our technical panel, you know, to actually speak on behalf of the industry in terms of some policy position that we're trying to explain. And I realized when we were doing introductions, more than half of the industry leaders speaking were once upon a time from their first roots were (laughs) until somebody blurted it out. 
somebody in the call, <laughs> we all came from Benedict. We all came from <laughs> and it was it was it was funny to say. I realized that right. This yeah. more than half of the industry leadership in this government policy shaping discussion. Uh, so it's it's fun no? to actually see people actually uh, take flight no? and do incredible things. But uh, did you? see that happening like back in 2000 2001 and i remember meeting you in 2001 you gave me an amazing tour in your eastwood facility i was a potential client for you at that time uh, from the us at that time did you think that this industry will grow to over a million people working in the industry dozens and dozens of companies operating from the philippines and uh, still going i think People knew there was incredible potential for the Philippines to be the premier destination for this kind of work. But because it was such a novel idea, untested, nobody has charted the path. Uh, we didn't really know, right, if we were going to make it. We didn't even, as I mentioned a while ago, there were points in time we didn't know if we were going to make the payroll. No? And <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, if we didn't let people know that. Yeah. But it was going through some some challenging times at the beginning. When I gathered the the first off-site planning no, for the management team that I had the fortune of working during that time, I said, okay, what is it that we want to do, right? What is our big, hairy, audacious goal going to be? Yes. And somebody said, I want us to be the most globally awarded BPO company, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, that sounds fantastic. Let's put it up on the flip chart. Yes. <laughs> and then somebody asked, wait, what does what awards are given in this particular industry? And and nobody knew what awards were being given. So we were, we were kind of having a laugh about, you know, that's what we're going to do, right? And then eventually we reaped so many international awards. We did actually start claiming we're the most uh, decorated no, global uh, BPO company. There was one time where in, I was trying to refresh what the eTelecare vision or purpose was going to be. But because we became much larger, we started growing. I said, I don't want this to be coming from just us, right? Myself and some leaders thinking about it and trying to let others buy into it. No? I, I wanted it to be a truly inclusive process. So then we created what we called our Employee Champions League, right? These are like elected by their peers to represent themselves. Uh, and we have dozens, dozens of them, actually. And I said, I need your help. You know, what do you think should be the new vision statement of eTelecare? And, and then we had a lot of sessions. And, and then eventually we came up with something that if you ask people during that time, they would still remember this, which was building an industry, building people. So after a couple of years and, and you know, growing and having success, everybody, you know, galvanized around this notion of this is what we're doing. Right? We are actually building an industry. And uh, people found that extremely inspiring to actually be part of a company who's trying to do that. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so that was that was also quite special. <laughs> and I, I think that kind of uh, spread across the industry because I think by 2004, 2005, there were enough BPO companies from around the world who were to 
come to the Philippines and start their small operations and they were slowly becoming big. Uh, and that's when I think you were one of the founding fathers of the industry association, which was not always known as the BPOP or IBPOP. Is that right? I think there was a different name for it uh, the first time you guys created it. There, there were two associations uh, that was early 2000. Um, I was a founding board member of one of them, okay. which is the Contact Center Associations, Association of the Philippine CCAP. And actually this year, we're now 20 years old. Uh, Amazing. And, and I, I didn't realize I've been in that board for the last 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going, I got to retire. And you'll be day. there for the, and, <laughs> and you'll be there for the next 20 years. <laughs> I said, I didn't realize it's been 20 years now. And, and that was a couple of companies at that time decided, I think we can work together so yeah. that we can actually collectively do something that is more impactful to promote the Philippines, right? Globally, do it together. And I thought that that was very important because since then, until now, 20 years later, there is this industry cohesion, yes. right? We compete for clients, but we actually are still a very cohesive community trying to do, you know, what is best to grow the industry and to create more jobs and take care of our people. And I thought that that was a secret sauce, right? To what, the, why the industry has been successful because we managed early on to establish uh, an industry community that truly cared for the future. And at that time, there was also, uh, I had, you know, industry pioneers and colleagues that established an, uh, a, another one called the Contact Federation of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was funny because at the beginning, both of them were focused on contact center work. Uh, one was called Contact Federation of Philippines, and I was with the Contact Center Association of Philippines. The, the CFP, uh, Contact Federation, founded by some of, again, brilliant pioneers of the industry, eventually became BPAP, right? And the concept was, let us represent not just contact center, but all types of sectors yes. in the field of outsourcing. So that was the notion to have technology outsourcing or services there. Healthcare would be there. The creative services, animation and gaming will be there. Uh, so that was really the, the genesis of BPAP. And at that time, there was PSIA, which is the software association. There was HIMAP. It was called differently then, or the health information management. Uh, the other associations already existed. And what we all collectively agreed is, why don't we become a consortium, right? Why don't we become part of this BPAP community, the Business Process Association, because together we can even do something even more. So the sectoral associations like CCAP and all that still existed to take care of what particular domain or industry vertical had to be taken care of focus-wise, but then have a sort of a consortium uh, mother mm-hmm. uh, organization that we were part of, which is people. Uh, so that was the beginnings of that. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's also something that I think is a secret sauce, right? That not only are we united and cohesive and work well together in the sector communities, we now have established you know, that level of cohesion uh, at the broader you know, IT and BPO level. No, that's good. And 
look, I think um, they loved you so much at uh, BPAP that um, I believe sometime, what, uh, 2009, 2008, they asked you to actually become the CEO of the IBPAP organization. And your new employer, uh, Accenture, allowed you to have two concurrent roles. How did that uh, so, come about? <laughs> so I've been always wired in to the potential of this industry, right? We call it yeah. BPO, ITBPM. Uh, we call it by different name. But, but I was always excited by the fact that there is immense potential in talent in the Filipino. And I was excited with any effort that created an opportunity to make that known and understood, right, uh, in the world. Uh, so that was that was what uh, was exciting about it. So that's why I think for 20 years I've been part of CCAP. And when BPAP in the board was established, I was part of that board maybe about 15 years ago, and I'm still part of the board again. Uh, and then at one time there was the CEO position was made available. And because I was just so inspired by things that the industry can do for the country, I was actually telling my boss then, right? That, you know, I think I want to do this full time. And my boss said, no, you're not going to leave. I'm not allowing you. Yeah. Why don't we do this? Right. You yes. take care of what you need to take care of Accenture. The rest of your time is up to you if you want to spend there. Uh, so my, my boss was extremely supportive and, mm. and gave me a lot of flexibility. And therefore, I ended up doing the CEO role, actually twice. In, in, the, in the two times that we were still looking for a CEO, I, I did the yeah. IBPAP CEO. So it was funny because when I did the first stint, I would go to the IBPAP office in the morning, stay there until about 3 p.m., 4 p.m., and then I'll travel to that center office and work there for, you know, usually it works afternoon, evening shift. So that was, that was fun. They, obviously, the only thing I couldn't do is take salary from BPAP because I yeah. can only have one paying employer according to Accenture rules. So, but it was, it was all worth it. Yeah, it was a good uh, way to give back to the country as well. And that was the driving force for you anyway, to begin with. No, I mean, look, um, you know, when I look at uh, what the industry has done, I have been part of it uh, and I have seen it firsthand. Uh, it's amazing story, you know, and everybody should be proud of it, especially you, given your role from day one. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about where the industry is going in the future. So we have had a great ride for the last 20 plus years. Where do you think this industry will be, you know, in 2030? How different would it be from what it is today in terms of uh, the type of work we'll be doing from the Philippines, in terms of the types of employees that we'll be hiring, types of skills that we'll be looking for? Maybe a bit of reflection on what, what my observations are from when I started to where we are today and I think where we're headed. Now, when I started, yeah. a lot of the initial work was focused on contact center work. And then and then after about nine years in e-telecare, and the Philippines was already just getting so much attention, right? And so much jobs are coming to the Philippines. I thought that there was another incredible opportunity around everything else that the Filipino talent can do exceptionally in. 
And my view was if, if the world got amazed with this incredible Filipino contact center professional, wait until they meet, you know, the Filipino engineer, the Filipino yes. IT professional, the Filipino accountant, the Filipino nurse, wait until they see how marvelous talent exists in multiple fields from this, this uh, country. And, and at that time, the most diversified type of work was coming from another company who, want, who was looking for somebody to, to help them run their BPO business, and that was Accenture. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I think chapter one is about contact center explosion. Chapter two is about how that bleeds over and manifests in many other fields, which is exactly what we're seeing. Global in-house centers exploding, yeah. healthcare BPO growing faster than you know, any other sector, IT work, engineering work. And now, you know, you're kind of getting this still dominated by contact center work, but uh, an ever-growing, larger, diversified type of work in many other professions. Now, in the last years, there's been a lot of fascination around, you know, digital. A lot of fascination around automation artificial intelligence and analytics. In my experience, and and being in Accenture, being one of the forerunners in driving digitization, right, of the type of work we do, I I do think that we tend to be fascinated with something that can happen or will happen. But I think that fascination is ahead of reality on the ground. It's not easy uh, to drive change that involves people. So... When I think about what the future would look like, I do think that it is a future that the talent now is not one dimensional, right? Mm -hmm. You're not a contact center expert. Your expertise goes further depth into a particular domain, right? Mm -hmm. I have expertise in the insurance industry, right? And then there's the other dimension, which is your technology proficiency, your digital literacy, because the the work is getting uh, interfaced with technology tools. So somebody who knows better about technology, somebody who knows better about the domain uh, vertical and the expertise, and has the creativity to connect dots and say, I know enough about insurance, or I know enough about banking, or I know enough about healthcare that, you know, and then I know how this works. I know what we're trying to do. And then now I know all these possibilities because of digital technology. And if I can combine both and do something that creates more value, that's where the magic happens. And I don't think that, you know, we have enough people who actually can actually overlay both. And that's what everybody's trying to figure out, which is how do you provide that opportunity for people to actually learn uh, and achieve depth in a particular domain, and at the same time, amplify their technical proficiency or technology quotient and have the creativity to say, this is something different we can do with this particular process, with this particular function, this is how we can disrupt the customer experience when I put these two together. I think that's what we're all trying to figure out. And right now what you see is you have groups in the organization that specialize in one area and, and they, they form teams trying to do this. 
But what I'm excited about is seeing more and more people who are actually picking up right, both sides of it. And the more people actually appreciate both sides of it, the more powerful the ideas become. And, and what, what would be your advice to recent college graduates who are looking at BPO industry as their uh, career choice? If they want to pers- you know, pursue the kind of career growth that you have gone through, what would be your advice to them? I mean, there's, there's just one general thing that I ended, I end up actually letting people folks know, which is you, you gotta be eternally curious and interested because even what you need to know now changes in a matter of 18 to 24 months. It's ever evolving. And, um, To be honest, I also don't know what is the secret sauce to fire up that eternal curiosity, you know, the need to, I mean, right now, I think one of the observations we have with many companies is that they offer a lot of training programs, upskilling, online content. I mean, even with outside of your company, right? There's just so much that you can learn. And I don't think we're missing on that, right? I think the opportunity to plug in and learn something new and then figure out maybe this has some relevance to what I'm doing and can improve it. I think we're not lacking there. In fact, in fact, there's so much available out there. It could be confusing. What I think we need to work on is that curiosity, right? This is fascinating. You know, the people that I get to meet when we used to be able to do more floor walks, right? And chat with people. Because we do a lot of, like in, in Accenture, we do a lot of analytics, automation work, as you can imagine. The, the folks that fascinate me are the folks who actually create software programs uh, that automate the process that are not from our technology team, mm. They're not from our operation excellence, business transformation team. They are the front lines who are doing the process, who happen to have, you know, some background. And technology, <laughs> they, they, yeah. And in technology or their hobbyists in technology. And what was fascinating is this theme that I get in their story because I would go, so why did you actually create that program? And they said, well, because the way the process is laid out, right? It, it's, it's so repetitive. It's so boring. You know, it's going to consume so much of my time. I don't want my time to go there. I want to do something more interesting, challenging and creative. <laughs> Therefore, they started doing their own projects. Later on, we had to figure out how to rope them in. So they're part of the the formal digitization effort. But those people are the ones that amaze me, right? That they know something about technology. They understand what you're trying to do. And they're going, there is a much better way of doing this. Yeah. Right? And I want my, my mental energy and my time to go into more meaningful, exciting pursuits rather than doing this that you know, my, my bot can do, right? My bot can do this. I'll create that bot, not to include this. We have a, we have a new program that we launched. Uh, I think we call it citizen, citizen coders. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So we, we've, we've been launching and we've covered a few hundred folks now. We're in people who are just, they, they don't know much about technology, right? Uh, we figured out that there's a certain way of training them so that they can pick up some coding skills and apply it in the work that they're doing. 
And that also is quite exciting for me to see, right? That they, they're, they're getting interested. I said, oh, yeah. I can do this now. That's because, right. So that's, that's a natural curiosity and amazement that I love seeing in people. You know, when they realize I learned something and it's potentially powerful, I'm excited to see how we can make use of this new skills. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times what I see is that when they're going through school, they don't like the concept of coding or they think they're yeah. not good in math or science. But when they get the job and they start understanding how the coding impacts their work, and they connect the dots, then it becomes, you know, a lot uh, easier for them. Well, I mean, quite interesting, insightful uh, insights from you, Benedict, on that. Uh, we are at that point now where uh, we go through rapid fire questions. So are you ready for that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go through that very quickly. So the first question is, um, what has been the biggest mistake you have made in your life and uh, what have you learned from it? My biggest mistake for me, I, I was thinking about this. Uh, I, I can say I, I always regret it mm. when I lose my temper mm. and it gets the better of me. And then I say something or do something that makes another person feel bad. And I kind of just come away with it thinking, how did that help? Right? It was, uh, you know, allowing myself to you know, release pent up emotion, but at the end of the day, it actually didn't help. It actually hurt. I could yeah. have handled that better. So that to me is kind of my 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 self check sometimes. <laughs> Uh-huh. You know, that's surprising to me because you can come across as somebody who is so even keel all the time. I mean, at it's, least, uh, it's the typically what people you. tell me. So, <laughs> so, so I think that's why the yeah. very few moments yes, that definitely. it kind of comes out, people yeah. kind of get unaware or un caught by surprise. You know, that I can get upset sometimes. What has been your biggest fear? The biggest fear since I turned 30, right? The biggest fear when I turned 30 and I realized, boy, I'm not going to live forever. I'm not going to be in forever. It's regret. Mm -hmm. So my fear is if there's something that I have not tried that looks interesting, I got to try it. No, I got to do something uh, because it's up to me, right? If I miss out on an opportunity and later on say I regret having done that, then that is my fear. So what, what's, that, uh, what's that one thing in your bucket list that uh, you really, really want to do it? but haven't had a chance to do it and you will regret it if you don't do it. Uh, I am thinking about one right now, which is I've never, I mean, I told you in college I was working, right? Yeah. In college. So from college until now, I've always been working. So if there was one thing I said, what if I take a sabbatical and just travel and yeah. unplug? Yeah. That's the one thing that, okay, when do I pull the trigger on that? <laughs> because I also don't want to have any regrets, right? That I yeah. didn't do it. I didn't do a months, months long, unplug, and just to really see, you know, what happens. Yeah. No, I know. I remember talking about this to, with you actually a few months <laughs> ago. Um, how do you define success? You know, for a couple of years now, I, I think about it in terms of if you happen to actually discern what your life's purpose is and what you can be passionate about and have the confidence and the fortune to pursue it, that yeah. to me is success. And I try to apply that again with my kids, which is I don't want to probe and see what they want to do and try to influence that. 
uh, I'm trying not hard not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> because I want them to actually discover it from themselves and say, you know, this is what I want to do. And it will really, really excite me to do it. Any quotes that have uh, made a big impact in your life that you keep repeating in front of audiences when you speak to them? Maybe there's a few. I've, I've used this many times in many public events around the Filipino talent is not cheaper. The Filipino talent is better. Mm-hmm. So I've used that many times. I like so that. just draw that message of this is not about cost arbitrage. Right? I also like the one, and it's it's a shortened version, a slightly different version from the original quote. I'm the captain of my ship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. The original quote was, I am the master of my fate. I'm the captain yeah. of my soul. Right. Yeah. And I found before that that was also something that I related to a lot, that your sense of happiness, fulfillment, joy, sadness, sorrow, depression, anxiety. There's a lot that you have, you have a say in how your life turns out and how, how much happiness you want, how much joy you want, how much success you have, you want. At the end of the day, you're the captain of a ship. So that's what I, I, I like a lot. How about books? Any books that have made a big impact in your life? You know, the one that I, I used the term BHAG, uh, Big Hairy Audacious Goals. Yeah. In earlier in my career, um, there were two books of Jim Collins, right? That actually made an impact yeah. on me. And the concept came from that. Good to Great and Built to Last. Yeah. Uh, so those books made a big impression on me. Uh, when I was in my 20s, starting out as an executive, those were very uh, influential. Classics, right? Because it involves both the theory <laughs> and so much math and so many <laughs> surveys and research and statistics. Uh, great, great choices. Uh, if you had to write, and I'm sure one day somebody's going to say, Benedict, it's about time you write a book about your own life. What would be the title of that book? Oh, okay. I haven't thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> what comes to your mind? Maybe the title that I would want. Yes. Uh, it's no it's your book. Yeah. No regrets. But, wow. I like that. <laughs> awesome. Well, on that note, uh, Benedict, I know you are a busy man. Thank you for taking the time uh, to be a part of this uh, podcast. I'm sure the audience is going to really appreciate your insights about where the BPO industry is going and uh, the lessons that you have learned over the years. Thank you very much. Well, you've been an incredibly uh, powerful, positive influence and force of the industry, Malik. Thank you very much for your leadership and helping us build this industry. Hi, guys. This is Malik again. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Benedict. If you'd like to listen to more of these inspiring conversations with leaders around the world, please make sure to subscribe. Until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.